Now, when you walked in today, each of you received a little uh, Christmas ornament that looks like this. And uh, if you didn't get one, when you leave, you can get one. But the reason we gave this to you is because many of you are Scrooges. And you haven't even put up your Christmas tree yet. So you need to do that. And when you do that, what we'd like you to do is to put this ornament up on your tree. And it says circle of three. And at the beginning of the year, if you remember, we talked about all of us thinking of three people and praying for them, connecting with them, inviting them to come. Well, you have a, a Sunday or a Saturday, Christmas Eve, to invite them. So I really want to strongly encourage you to do the invitation starting this week. And in your program, there was a little invite to our Christmas Eve uh, celebrations, and so you can take that. And invite somebody. If you're more of a Facebooker, you can uh, go on to our Facebook page and send it as a message. Uh, you can put it on your wall too. But whoever, three people, think of three people who if this Christmas they could find the hope of Christ, how could that change their eternity? Because that's what happened to Jared. It changed his whole life because his mom chose to reach out and the domino effect came. So, you're in? Yes. All right. Well, let's uh, pray and then we'll uh, jump into the teaching. Let's pray. <coughs> God, we uh, thank you so much for your love. And I thank you for each person who's here this morning. Many of us are here and we've had a cough or a cold or I know that I've been struggling with different things. And yet we're all here, God, to hear from you. We didn't just come up to the Y today and to hang out here just to waste time, God. We, we really do want to hear from you. And I pray that this week we would put that ornament on our tree and we would think of three people that we could invite. Someone who uh, is hurting, someone who might be going through what Jared is. And if we just took the risk, God, what kind of change that would take. So give us faith, God, to believe in the energy to invite, whether it's a, a neighbor who maybe we haven't even connected with and we can bring some cookies to them and say, hey, if you're not doing anything, we'd love for you to come. As easy as that. So God, help us to do our best inviting this week. God, we ask now that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would come and you would teach us how to worship you as we bring gifts. God, we want to hear from you this morning. And so open our ears from the distractions of the world. Speak encouragement to us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, last week we talked about lifting up our hands to God as an act of worship. And we talked about how there are different postures to worship. You might lift your hands, um, and some of you did that last week, maybe for the first time, and you experienced that freedom. And today what I want to talk about is what it means to bring a gift. What does it look like to bring a gift as an act of worship to God? Now, in looking at the Christmas story, there are uh, some characters in that Christmas story who brought gifts to God. Does anyone remember who those people were? The wise men. That's right. So the wise guys, I like to call them. The, the wise men came. And in Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1, we read this story. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, magi, or wise men, they came from the east to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? And what you need to know is that it's been 700 years that people have been waiting for the king of the Jews to actually come to planet Earth. So they've been waiting for a long period of time. And it says, the wise men said, We saw his star when it rose, and we have what? What's it say? What is it? Come to worship. We have come to worship him. The whole reason 
that the wise men actually came was to come and to worship God. Now, King Herod, you need to realize, was an evil king. He was a brutal king. And anyone that didn't agree with him, there are multiple accounts where he just took him out. And King Herod, when he hears this threat that there is this new king that's coming, that's going to be born, he tells the wise men, he says, hey guys, when you find whoever this king is, when you find who he is, please let me know, because I want to come and I want to worship him. Now, one of my uh, favorite movies uh, is called The Big Fat Liar. I think we have a picture of uh, this guy. And this is the picture of King Herod. He was a big, fat liar when he said that. And we learn later on that after Jesus was two years old, he wiped out every two-year-old boy uh, in all of Jerusalem. Well, verse 9 goes on. After they, the wise men, (coughs) had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star that they had seen when it rose, went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. So many times we read this and then we're like, oh, okay, so he followed a star. But we don't realize exactly the magnitude of what the wise men did to go and to worship the Christ child. They were in Persia, which is in present-day Iran, and they went 900 miles to be able to be at the place where Jesus was. Now, if we left Muncie today and we traveled 900 miles to a city on the East Coast that is not New York City, but it is a city where people have a strong accent, what would that city be? Boston, Boston. Now, it's 899.5 miles. I looked it up this week to get there. So 900 miles to get to Boston. Now, Boston also has an evil king, and here he is. (laughs) I just couldn't resist. But these guys, folks, they didn't travel like an airline or a train or a car. They went on camels and in dangerous roads for 900 miles. Why? So that they could simply come and to worship Christ the Lord. So when the wise men arrive at this place that the star had stopped, the question becomes, well, how did they respond? How did they respond when they met the Christ child? Well, first of all, they were overjoyed. When the wise men came, they were overjoyed. (coughs) Verse 10 says this. When they saw the star, how did they respond? What's the scripture say? They were overjoyed. They were overjoyed. Now, in the original language of the New Testament, in Greek, this word overjoyed is not just like, oh, they had a lot of joy. This was like a big, gigantic, humongous, overarching joy. It's the kind of joy that when you have met your purpose in life, you met the dream, your goal in life, that's the kind of joy that they had because they were able to go and see the Christ child. This is what I think it looks like. It's like Bobby McFerrin meets Pharrell. Okay? And it looks like this. Ooh, 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 don't worry. Ooh, what? Be happy. Ooh, and then it goes to Pharrell, because I'm happy, clap along if you feel like a room without a roof. So this is the kind of joy, folks, that the wise men feel when they walk in. And those are two songs you will not get out of your head this week now, right? 
because it's filled with joy. You remember those because you're like, ah, it takes everything away and I'm filled with joy. I mean, the wise men were happy that they were happy that they were happy that they were able to come and to be with Jesus. That Jesus was where the star was at. You know, folks, it's almost impossible to describe the full life of what these wise men felt and the joy that they felt that for centuries they had been waiting for this to happen. And then it came, and they were the ones who were able to come and to worship the Christ child. And they were overjoyed. They were filled with joy. Humongous, big, gigantic joy. Now, here's the problem with some Christians today. They're underjoyed. They're underjoyed. It makes no sense to me whatsoever, but they're underjoyed. They just walk around. They're underjoyed. Nothing impresses them anymore. And even though the God of the universe sent his son to come downstairs from heaven so that all of us could be set free and we could have new life, they still are underjoyed. And they walk around with a Christian kind of sourpuss look. They look like Gap. And they walk into churches and they say they're Christians, but they start complaining about everything. And they nitpick and they're angry and they're sour and it just is ugly to watch them. And it makes no sense to me. Listen to me. If you're overjoyed, some of you need to tell your face. If you're overjoyed, you need to smile. You need to tell your face that actually things aren't so bad. Like it's pretty good. Half the world, folks, lives on $2 a day or less. Your life isn't that bad. No matter what the circumstance is, you can be filled with joy. Being a follower of Jesus, you should be more full of joy than anybody else in the world. It doesn't matter how bad life gets. You have the promise that this life is not all that there is. That you have something that's even beyond this that's going to be better. You've got a God who is with you. He's for you. He's got your back. He never leaves. No matter how low your low is, He doesn't walk away. That's something to be overjoyed with. Folks, don't you dare live underjoyed. Don't live underjoyed. If you've got a smile, smile. If you've got a clap, clap. Raise your hand. You praise. You be fun to be around. Don't be the person at work there. Everybody's like, yep, they're a Christian. No joy. And have you ever seen some of these folks before? They'll have this concept where they talk about everything that they're against. I'm against this. I'm against this. I'm against this. You're like, hey, you want to come to church? Yeah. You're against everything. Don't be against. Tell people what you're for. And what are you for? The amazing love and grace that God has for you. When people see you, they should say, you know what? They're the happiest person I know. I mean, their life isn't perfect. They have circumstances, but they live in joy. We're overjoyed. Why? Because we have a Savior who came to the world. The wise men traveled 900 miles. It took months for them to be able to do this so that they could worship him. So how did they respond? They were overjoyed. The second thing is they bowed down and they worshiped him. Verse 11 says this. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary. And what did they do? What's it say? They bowed down. They bowed down. Now we're going to talk about this on Christmas Eve. So again, 
One of the reasons why you need to put this on your tree is so you don't forget it. And then secondly, that you would invite people that maybe for the first time in their life, they might actually bow down and their life would be changed. Remember last week we talked about the same sign for victory is the same sign for surrender. What would it look like on Christmas Eve if you brought some coworkers, neighbors, friends, and they bowed down to Jesus and they would go, it happened on 2016 when my coworker or my friend or my family member invited me to Christmas Eve. What would that do for the kingdom? What encouragement would that be for you? Well, we're going to talk about that on Christmas Eve. So they bowed down and then what's it say? They bowed down and they what? They worshipped him. Now, how did they respond? They were overjoyed. They bowed down and worshipped him. And how did they worship him? Well, that's the third thing. They opened their treasures and they gave to him. They opened their treasures and they gave to him. (coughs) Verse 11, it says this. They opened their treasures... And they presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. The wise men, they were overjoyed to give. They did not give underjoyed. They were not upset that they had to give. They were honored to be able to give a gift to the one who loved them. A few weeks ago, a little girl ran up to me after church. I was back greeting people, and she ran up, and she had something in her hand, and she was all excited. She ran up to me, and she's like, hey, hey, I got this gift for you. I want you to see this. And she had worked on this gift really, really hard all during church. And at the end of it, she's like, I'm overjoyed. Her heart was just full of joy. She was so excited. She's like, here. And this is what she gave me. You know who that is? Our band. If they ever do a cover, this is the cover of the band, you know. That was it. And she was so excited to, like, give this to me. And you know what? There wasn't any of this going on. Well, my parents said I had to do something while I was sitting in church. And they said, you're the pastor, so I guess I have to do something for you. So I felt obligated, but I had to draw something and... She was really glad that, uh, I hope you're glad you get this because it took me a lot of time, but uh, here it is. It wasn't any of that. She just ran up to me, just overjoyed that she had a gift that she could give me. So I asked her, I said, well, did you make a picture for me as well? And she said, well, I didn't make a picture, but I just thought of a picture. And this is who you remind me of. Um, I wish, I mean, my wife wishes, that's really what, that's what it is. Well, like that little girl that was overjoyed when she brought me this picture of the band and she wanted me to see that. The wise men were overjoyed when they were able to give gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now there's been tons of debate on What did these three gifts represent? What did they symbolize? The gold, most scholars kind of believe, focuses on kingship. That Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That when he was born, he took on those titles on earth, although he had them in heaven long before that. That he was the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And the second kind of gift, the frankincense or the incense many people believed was his priestly kind of ministry that he did, his earthly ministry that he did here. And then the myrrh, which was actually an oil, was used to help prepare people for burial. And a lot of scholars really believe that this was a foreshadowing that Jesus was actually born to die. Think about that. That he was actually born with this gift of myrrh, knowing that he would die for the sins of the world. The wise men worshipped him. 
And they were overjoyed and they brought their gifts. And they brought their gifts, folks, as an act of worship. And with tremendous joy in their heart, they opened the best that they had, the best gift that they could give, and they gave it to him. Now, at this point, some of you are like, well, I know where this is going. They have not collected an offering yet. And I picked Giving Sunday to come to church. Like out of every Sunday that I could pick, this is the one that I picked? Seriously. I mean, I brought a friend today, Bunch. You were supposed to talk about something else that was going to be like, Woo, Jesus, and he loves you, and all your cares are gone. And this is what you did? And on Christmas, like, aren't we just to talk about the baby little Jesus and the little sheep and the little, all that kind of stuff, and everybody be happy when they leave? Like, let's just do that. And isn't Christmas, honestly, about getting stuff? And now you're asking me to give stuff? Isn't it about getting, not giving? So if you're that person, I totally understand because I was there for most of my life. I was a PK, a preacher's kid. That means that I remember how awkward it was when my dad would talk about giving. And you could see people. And you know what? People were not as nice to my family after my dad talked about giving. People were mean and nasty. And they would walk by or they would just begrudgingly go, oh, he's asking about money again. So I get it, okay? I totally, totally get it. And some of you are sitting there going, I've got Christmas presents. What are you talking about? Like, I've got gifts, and someone signed me up to bring the Christmas ham for the family dinner. You know, like, what's that all about? So I get it. I understand. And honestly, I hated those kind of messages myself. And do you know why I hated those messages for the first half of my life? Because I wasn't a giver. I was a tightwad. I was a keeper. There are two types of people. There are givers and there are keepers. For the first half of my life, I was nothing but a keeper. I like to keep. But over time, what happened was God softened my heart. And now I love to read books on generosity. I love to hear stories about it. I like to uh, understand how more I can be generous with the gifts that God has given me. Why? Because generous people love giving. They love to give. You know, when I teach on giving, I can always tell who the generous people are. When I give a teaching like this, they're always smiling. They're like, ah, yeah, yep, yep. And I can also tell those who are like, oh, get me out of here. I pray that the rapture would come right now. (laughs) Because I don't want to have to give the last little bit, you know. Um, So I don't want you to not think that I don't understand what this is about. But for the rest of our teaching, what I really want us to do is that I hope that you would just open up your heart and say, God, if you want me to be a a giver in a greater way than I am right now, God, would you soften my heart? And maybe some of you don't love giving right now, but maybe you'd be open to it as time goes on. But you love to give. You love to give. You, you plan it. You strategically think about it. You think about, how can I be overjoyed to give to God? Now, why should it be this way? Why should it be this way? Because love gives, doesn't it? Doesn't love always give? And that's kind of our big idea this morning, that love gives. Love gives. <coughs> when you love someone, you love to give something to them, don't you? When my wife Jennifer and I uh, first got in, or uh, when we first started dating, the very first Christmas that we spent as boyfriend and girlfriend. She just got me so much stuff. I just loved it. She got me clothes. I think that was because she didn't like the way I dressed. But anyway, she bought me like a whole lot of clothes 
and uh, made me look better. And she got me music that I liked. She got me all kinds of stuff. There was like tons of gifts. I was just like, more gifts than my parents got me. You know, like she, she was that way. And she made stuff for me. She made me a little journal that I still have to this day. I, I bet all of you have little boxes where you keep some things that are just keepsakes. And what she did in the first 30 days of 1993, she wrote down every single day how much she loved me, a scripture of encouragement to me, and ways that she saw God could use me in the future. And I've kept that thing for over 24 years because it's so valuable to me. And she did all that because she loved me. Now, I told you, I was not a giver, I was a taker. Do you know what I got my uh, girlfriend in 1992 of Christmas? A Snoopy sweatshirt. (laughs) That's it. She had like tons of gifts my wife had gotten me. I got her a sweatshirt. And you talk about feeling like the biggest jerk in the world. You're like, oh my gosh, I'm a loser. She, why is she even still with me? So the next year we got engaged. And that year I went to town. It's the only Christmas I ever outdid her. I bought so much stuff. I put it on credit cards. I mean, she walked in. I was like, she's not going to walk away from me now, man. I got too many gifts, you know. And that was it. And over time, what happened was is that Jennifer's generosity kind of rubbed off on me. And I was able to start to understand exactly what it meant to give that love gives love love always gives anybody uh, know what the most famous scripture verses in the bible culturally it'll be in end zones today anybody want to take a guess yeah john 3:16 john 3:16 it says this for god so loved the world that he what what did he do what did he do he gave he gave he gave a gift Why did he give? Because he loved the world. Now, for God so loved the world that he gave not gold or frankincense or myrrh, but he actually gave what? He he gave his one and only son. That's how much God loves you, folks. He gave his most precious gift for you. Folks, love gives. And that's what God does. It's not that We loved God first. It was that God loved us even before we were around. Because love gives. The God of the universe, he looked down on planet earth and he saw how messed up it was. And he said, hey son, why don't you come here? I need you to go downstairs to earth. And what I want you to do is I want you to do whatever it takes. But your life might be the very gift for those people. And so if you have to give up your life, I want you to do that. So son, are you ready to go downstairs to leave heaven? The only thing that you've known, are you ready to go down for a group of people that will not love you, will not care for you, will walk away from you, will sin against you? And Jesus said, I'm in. And he walked all the way downstairs to earth because of his love for you, because love gives. Love gives. Romans 5.8 says this, but God demonstrates what? What does he show? Yeah, his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, when we didn't deserve it, Christ died for us. God didn't like shout from heaven his love. He showed his love on earth. Think about that. The one who created everything. He could have just shouted down, Hey, I love you guys. No, 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 no. He didn't do that from heaven. He actually showed his love on earth. He sent Jesus because love gives. My parents are uh, two of the most uh, generous people that I know. And uh, I've seen my mom before. My mom's an artist, and so she has a lot of paintings. And I've seen people before on more than one occasion that would actually come up or they'd see these figurines that uh, she collects. And I've seen on a couple of occasions, more than one, where people would come up and they're like, oh, I love this. 
I've seen her take off a figurine, just give it to the person. Take a picture right off the wall, just give it to a person. My dad uh, is more generous than most people that I know. My whole life, if I ever wanted something, especially around this time of year, Christmas time, he, he always found a way to do it. Now, we were really, really poor. Uh, we were just uh, like right at the poverty line to where we probably could have got food stamps, but he was too proud. So you know what we had instead of food stamps? A garden. And do you know who he sent into the garden? Not himself. Three kids. We picked and pulled and all kinds of stuff. But we weren't on food stamps, but we had a garden. I'd rather have food stamps, to be quite honest. But Well, he was the person who just gave. And he would, especially around Christmas, I was like, I don't even know how he, how did he do this? Now, I don't think he stole anything, but he might have. I don't, I don't know. But when Atari came out, some of you are like, Atari, what is that? So you have to look at gaming systems like when it first began. When Atari first came out, my dad, I mean, it was like the Ark of the Covenant had showed up in our house. He had this Atari, and we played that. I was like, how could he afford this? Who cares? Let's play. You know what I mean? And uh, we just loved that. And I remember he got black and white televisions for one Christmas for my brother and I in our room. Like, we, we didn't have to be with everybody else. We could just have it in our own room. I remember one time I came back from a summer camp. I'd been at a church camp for a week. And he knew that I really wanted a big sound system because I liked rap music. And, uh, I, you know, I wanted to have that bass going boom, boom, boom. And uh, I walked in the room, and there was this Hitachi system. And it had a turntable, dual cassettes. Some of you are going, cassettes? What are you talking about, okay? Dual cassettes. It had an amplifier, and it had these huge speakers. And I played that rap music. Now, he didn't like it as much once I started playing the music. But uh, he just loved to give things like that. And there's so many times that I know he sacrificed a lot because love gives. A few years ago, uh, through a whole host of circumstances, uh, I had the opportunity, because I was down in Florida, my uncle had died, and I was there as the executor of his estate. And I was with my parents, and through a whole set of circumstances, I got two tickets to the Super Bowl if I wanted them. Uh, there was a price connected to it, but the Colts were in the Super Bowl. And my dad is like the biggest Colts fan. He loves it. And so um, I was like, oh, man, this would be awesome. And so I got these tickets, and we didn't. you have to pay a lot more than what the face price is. So this was like the most money I'd ever paid for any ticket in my life. I mean, I think the ticket to heaven might be cheaper than what this one is. You know what I mean? And uh, so I had these, and uh, I went to Jennifer because we have a giving budget, and uh, we have gifts that we give to people, but this was like way outside our giving budget. And so I said, hey, I've got this opportunity. Here's a couple tickets, and uh, this is what they cost. And all of a sudden, Jennifer fell to the floor. <laughs> Not really, but uh, she's like, oh. And I was like, you know, honey, if you want to go, I'll take you. But I, I really think my dad would love this. And uh, I remember my wife going, uh, you take your dad. And so uh, I made the phone call, took out a loan, made the phone call. <laughs> and I got these tickets, and I remember walking outside of the the bedroom where my uncle literally had just died a week ago. And I walked out and I said, Dad, we're going to the Super Bowl. And then he fell to the ground. <laughs> and I'm like, we can't have two funerals, Dad. Get back at night. No, but he actually, he just started smiling. And this like 75-year-old man started dancing. He's like, yes, we're going, we're going. He's like, what about Jen? I'm like, she said you're in. Great! Yeah, you know, she like Jen got pushed away, and my dad and I, uh, 
were able to do that. And I was able to give him something out of all that he had ever given to me because love gives. Love gives. You know, when this happened, except for the fact that the Colts lost, okay, I wasn't joyful about that. But I'll never forget that. I was overjoyed to be able to do this. Folks love gifts. God demonstrated his love to us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now, as I talk about this, some of you are probably thinking, well, I love God, Chris. I really do, but, man, I just struggle to give. Or, man, I'm struggling financially right now. I mean, it's tough, and it's hard for me to think about that. Some of you might be thinking, I love God, but I'm afraid. I'm a little hesitant. I'm, I'm kind of reluctant for that. Well, my, my life verse, kind of the verse that has spoke to my life more than any other and has kind of guided my track, is in Proverbs chapter 3, uh, verses 5 and 6. And it just says this, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways... Submit to him or acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. And just says, trust in God. Don't lean on your own ability, your own understanding. Trust God. Trust God. Trust God. Now, to be honest, I had uh, never studied the verses after six before. That was my life verse, and that was it. In fact, I had rarely ever seen anyone kind of teach or study on these verses. And this week, I was looking at verse 7, and this is what it says. Do not be wise in your own eyes. In other words, don't try to figure everything out on your own. There are some ways that are higher than your ways. There are ways, there are thoughts that are higher than your thoughts. Don't be wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Verse 9, it goes on to say, Honor the Lord. Now, this word honor here means to worship, to adore, to praise. All the things that we see in the Christmas story. Worship the Lord. It says honor. Worship the Lord with what? What's it say? With your wealth. Worship the Lord with your wealth. Worship the Lord with what you have. This is only one of the ways to worship God, but it is an important way. The wise men were overjoyed, and they came and they bowed down, and they worshipped, and they opened up their treasures, and they gave them to the Christ child. Honor the Lord, worship the Lord, with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. Honor God with your wealth. Worship the Lord with your wealth. And then you will be blessed beyond measure. Honor Him with the first fruits of your wealth. Now, you might be asking, uh, what are first fruits? Like, what's that all about? Well, first fruits in biblical times, it was an agricultural uh, community. The whole culture was agricultural. And first fruits thinking was this, that God, I trust you enough that I'm going to give you the first part of the harvest, the very first part of the harvest, I'm going to give to you and I'm going to trust you for all the other needs that I have. This is the concept called the tithe or a tenth. It's where you take 10%, the very beginning of the harvest, the first 10%, And you give it to God. And Scripture tells us that if you'll do that, it's the only place where God says, test me. God, the only place in the Holy Scripture, He says, you test me with that and don't see if I don't open up the windows of heaven and I will pour blessings into your life that you cannot contain. So we worship the Lord with the first tenth of what we have. Now, to be honest... For the first half of my life, I was not a tither. 
In fact, when I heard that concept, 10%, I thought these people were nuts. I thought they were crazy. I thought they were Looney Tunes. 10%? Are you kidding me? I can hardly make what? I'm a poor college student. 10%? Are you serious? But then I remembered my life verse that says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge Him and He will make your paths straight. You give God our best and you trust Him for the rest. We give the first 10%, not the last 10%. You give your best, not whatever your leftover is at the end of the month. Oh, this is what you get left over. You know, when I do this kind of teaching, I, can, I always like to watch people because I can always tell the people who are tithers or not. Tithers are smithing at this point. They're like, yep. Those that aren't, they're not. And I've talked about this. And tithers believe this, that I can have more production out of 90% with God's blessing than I can 100% on my own. 90% with God's blessing is actually greater, folks. It is. I'm just telling you the truth. It's greater than 100% without it. Again, for the first half of my life, I was not a tither. My parents were, but I wasn't. Now, there are many times I wish they weren't tithers. Because we wouldn't have had a garden. We would have had Burger King. But we didn't go to Burger King. Burger King was a treat. What did we have? Green beans and chili and chili and green beans. That's what we had. Now... The first time, though, that I ever tried this tithing thing, I was 18 years old. And I got a job from an elderly couple that I had to paint their house and their fence. It took me all summer, and I painted it. And at the end of it, I don't think their site was very good, so they said I did a good job. But anyway, you know, it was done, and I got $700 at the end of the summer. It was the most money I'd ever made in my life. Took all summer, but I got $700. And I remember taking 70 of it, and I thought to myself, you know what? I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to give this with the right attitude. I'm going to honor God with this. And I remember going to church, and there was these gold plates. I don't know why we had gold plates, uh, but they had gold. We should have sold those and then had bags, you know what I mean? But we had these gold plates, and they'd go by. And I remember putting that $70 in there, and I thought, I'm putting my money where my mouth is. I'm not just talking about it. I'm actually doing it. And I can just remember, God, I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you. Fast forward, next summer. There's a doctor in our church who uh, finds out that I had painted a house. He said, hey, I'd like you to, I heard you did a good job. I'd like you to paint my office building this summer if you'd like to. And I was 19. And I was like, yes. So I painted this. At the end of that summer, he paid me $1,500. I had doubled the amount of summer money that I had made. Now, you would think that if you're a wise person, you'd be like, look, you honored God with that. And he actually doubled what you were able to make the next year. But I was in college now. And I was very wise. And I had knowledge. And I liked to party. And I kept thinking, what would $150 do for my social life? And you know what I did? I didn't tithe it. I didn't get anything together. Fast forward four years. Jennifer and I are in our first year of marriage. We had this little plastic card. It said MasterCard. I thought that meant I was the master of my card. I didn't think they sent you bills at the end. I just thought I was the master of it. I can switch. No, no, no. I was not the master. I was not the master at all. I became the slave to it. And we got in so much credit card debt in our first year that when it came to actually this concept of the tithe, of actually giving, we were not able to do it. We looked at how much we made. We had two apartments that we had to pay for because she lived here, I lived in Lafayette, and we made $250 a week. And when we got everything done, we had less money than what we were paying in bills, but we made a commitment. We prayed, and we said, God, we will give you 5%, and we're going to trust you in this, and we're just going to increase it by 1% 
each year until we get to the tithe. And God honored us. Now, we bummed off a lot of people those five years. Anytime somebody went out to eat and they're like, oh, I'll pick it up. I'm like, yep, no problem. There you go, you know. People brought us food. We did anything we could, but we did it. And when we moved to Muncie, we were tithers. And we had been in apartments for seven years. And we had decided that we weren't going to be apartment people anymore. We were actually going to own a home. And we were going to be homeowners. And so we did our budget with our tithe being the very first thing. But we figured out what we could afford. We found a house. We put a bid on it. They accepted the bid. Everything was going great until we found out from our realtor there was this little thing called closing cost. I didn't know you had to do that. And we were $1,500 short. And I was like, there is no way. And so, as spiritual as I was, I thought, well, if we don't tithe for a few months... We can pay for the closing costs, and we'll get you back, God. We'll get you back. And I'll never forget, because Jennifer rhymed this time. She never rhymes. And she said this. She said, we will tithe, and God will provide. And I was like, okay, nice rhyme, but it ain't going to work. And so we did nothing. Two weeks before closing, I'm like, man, this is going to look bad. And I walked out to the uh, mailbox, and there was a friend of ours who had just lost her husband to heart disease. And she had sent us a card. And I opened up the card and I looked inside it and she said, I was just thinking about you guys. We finalized all the life insurance from Joe's death and I wanted to give you a gift. And I opened up that check and it was for exactly $1,500. God provided all the way to my very need. Now, yeah, thanks God. Now, This is what I want to tell you, too. Just because you tithe doesn't mean you're going to get a $1,500 check in two weeks. In fact, more than likely, you won't. But this is what I want to say, too, that God is faithful. He will provide. He really does want to honor us in the midst of that. There's a guy by the name of Paul who wrote over half of the New Testament and is considered one of Jesus' closest friends, or uh, closest followers. And Paul was a person who hated Christians. He despised them. He actually helped to kill some Christians. And his life, though, was totally transformed by Christ. And when it was transformed, he wrote something to everyone who would follow after him. And These are the words that he spoke. This guy is in prison. He's tortured and killed Christians. And this is what he wrote. He said, therefore, I urge you, brothers and spirit, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. Listen to that. In view of what God has done for me, in view of who God is and what he's done for us, he said, I urge you to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice and not just your wealth. Because your wealth, folks, is easy. But your life, but your whole lives, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and, what's it say? What is it? Proper what? Proper worship. He says, this is your true and proper worship. It's trusting in God with all of your heart and not leaning on your own understanding. This is what it means. It doesn't mean... That it makes sense. Because it doesn't make sense in our mind. But in all of your ways, I will acknowledge you because I believe you're the one who can make straight my path. I will honor you with my best, God, and I will trust you for the rest. That you'll bless the rest. Folks, God first loved us. You see, the wise men, they brought their best gifts And they went all the way, 900 miles, to be able to offer that to the Christ child. Why? As an act of worship. Now, last week we did an act of worship. I challenged people to raise their hand. People were like, man, I wish you would have done that this week again. Just raise the hand. That would have been good enough. But what I really wanted to do was to challenge all of us to give a gift to God 
today. Now, some of you might be sitting there and you're like, man, I tied last week. I know, I did too. And God knows. He's good with it. Some of you might be like, yeah, but I, I just, you know, I give every other week and this isn't my week and I don't have it here. I give on the app and that's the way that I do it or whatever it is. God understands. God knows. He's good with it. But we actually wanted to elevate the offering today because that's what the teaching does as the wise men came and they gave their best gifts. And many times we're just like, hey, you know what? Uh, Put your connect card in there and we want you to do that. Go ahead and do that today. And here's prayer and then we're going to take an offering. But today we wanted to give some light to it. So I'm going to invite our uh, hospitality folks to come up. And I just want to challenge you today to give something. Maybe it's five bucks. Maybe it's a dollar. Maybe it's a quarter. But be a part of worshiping God today because that's what we want to do. And like I said, last week I knew that I had already given my gift for the month. We give monthly. But I'm like, you know, I can't ask anyone to give a quarter or a dollar, whatever. But let's all give an act of worship as we give today and honor God in the midst of that. So we're going to turn off the lights here for a second. And we want this to be a form of worship. Just as the wise men came and they worshiped him, they were overjoyed and they gave their treasures to him. We bring our gifts today. And so let's pray and then we'll share in the offering. Loving God, thank you so much for giving us your one and only son. Just as he gave the most generous gift, his actual life, we now want to bring a gift to you as an act of worship. Because your love has blessed us in so many ways, God, that just as the wise men came and gave their gifts, we give a gift to you today. And we pray this 